We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And down 21 with all hope feeling lost uh, last night, LeBron James goes on a classic LeBron James run and leads the Lakers to a victory in the final game against the Clippers uh, in downtown LA in that arena. And it was just one of them nights, Mike, um, just an absolutely brilliant performance by LeBron gets hot from three. You asked some great questions in post game about kind of how it happened and how they were targeting Tice. I was thinking about your observations yesterday about the Clippers in terms of their big lineups being vulnerable and the small ones being vulnerable as well. But just a, a great comeback win, Mike. Uh, you were there for it. Really, really big win for, for the Lakers last night. It was pretty wild in the building. The emotional swing from the Laker perspective, which was the majority of the building, was one of frustration and anger. It it just seemed like if you looked around, there were rage texts going off of people there, <laughs> like to their friends. And it just was a, a frustrated group of Laker fans. And then all of a sudden, LeBron James decides to just turn in an all-timer. Uh, yet another one of the greatest games of anybody who's ever played into their 20, 21st season, which is probably... I don't know. He probably has like the 30 best games. So somebody that's played <laughs> there in that in their 21st season so far and the barrage from three. I mean, I've been watching the show um, called Masters of the Air on Apple TV. It's about World War Two bombers. And my grandpa actually flew in one of those. So he shot it to him would have been 102 yesterday um past several years ago but so just the the bombardment from the air um from the lakers nine threes in the fourth quarter and a lot of it coming in similar actions that i will kind of defer to you guys to explain some of the players in darvin hammer getting into it but you know a lot of it was just lebron either manipulating a big or harden um and and kind of especially once they got down in the game and then adding a wrinkle to it with delo coming over uh, for an extra pass out of a trap and finding Rui. like there was just a lot of um kind of fun offense in that context and the clippers were just sort of shell-shocked the whole time, turning the ball over, the Lakers blitzing, Reddish and Jackson Hayes, finally the Lakers using athleticism in a bigger lineup after what we had seen for the earlier parts of the game. So, um, so much to get to. I want to get to Darius before I keep rambling on too longer. The vibe was amazing in like the fourth quarter. And it's funny because we were texting a fair amount through the game 
about our general frustrations about what was occurring. And during the run, it was crickets. I feel like we were watching a no-hitter or yeah, something we like, and no one wanted to yeah. say anything. Don't, don't want to mess this up. Yeah. So it was great. We were not going to disturb the basketball gods, whatever they were yeah. doing to help turn this game. But really, it wasn't the basketball gods at all. It was one of the gods that walks. It was on, one of the basketball gods. Yeah. Earth, right? Yeah. yeah it, it was LeBron James. I wrote this for Lakers.com last night, but up to the point in the fourth quarter. So Lakers are down 19 heading into the fourth, and then the Clippers score on their first possession, and there's 11 minutes and 45 seconds left, and the Lakers are down 21 points. At that point, and leading up to that point, the body language of the team looked pretty much as desolate as it could be. And I think a part of that was the fact that the Lakers had made these many pushes over the course of the game in order to try to get a foothold, and every single time, Pete, the Clippers just snuffed that out. And there was a stretch in the third quarter where it looked like the Lakers were on to something. And then suddenly it's like a couple of Kawhi threes later and they're back down by 16. And that's when I thought, okay, well, if they don't even make an effort to really like push to come back at all, and it basically just stays 16 the rest of the game, that would not surprise me. But LeBron had other plans. And it's one of those things where anyone who's ever played a sport ever, and LeBron talked about this um, after the game, the zone. Mm -hmm. And it was clear LeBron was in the zone. The one that revealed it to me, Pete, was the step-up three that he took off of the kickout where he's like a good four or five feet behind the arc at the top of the mm -hmm. key. And he just stepped right into it with no hesitation, elevated and just bombed it. And it was like, oh, oh, you're on one right now. How much longer can the team ride this wave? And for all the offensive stuff, Pete, I thought a key shift was LeBron starting to defend Kawhi Leonard. And it was LeBron's defense that will not get as much hype, but I thought it was just as important in turning the tenor of the game as his shot. Making. That's what I was going to open with was I actually thought the run in many ways was born in the third quarter in that LeBron and AD both, if you watch them throughout that third quarter, it was very obvious that it was like, all right, we're going to give our everything that we got on the defensive end and they're in a stance, they're really alert, you know, their, their eyes are big and they're pointing and they're talking and communicating. And LeBron is really the only guy on our team who's capable, aside from AD, who's capable of bothering Kawhi a little bit. And, but having LeBron guard the Kawhis and guys like that is not something obviously you want to do over the course of 82 that often. But Mike, we're starting to get to that point where it's like, actually, this is the whole reason why you load manage and do all that stuff earlier in the season is so you can start to turn it up a bit. And so LeBron on the defensive end, I thought really catalyzed things. And that has an effect on everybody else in terms of bringing their spirits up because what you were talking about D with that was that was something that was very noticeable to me. And this has happened a few times this season where it's like, Oh, they look like their heads are hanging their shoulder, their body language is bad. You had mentioned, I was watching the spectrum broadcast, but you mentioned on ESPN passion Reddick. We're talking about this as well. It's very obvious. Yeah. And it's like, for as much as we talk about the lineups and all of the, all of the stuff that goes with that, Mike, that sort of sense of belief and that sort of like, Hey, let's go is, if you don't have that, it doesn't really matter. The lineups and schemes and all that, 
And I texted you guys toward that end, the end of that third quarter was if we're going to come back, it's going to need to be a LeBron and AD type of thing, precisely because it has to be born out of that spirit, right? That level of let's freaking go, let's rotate, let's talk, let's get our hands out. And all of a sudden, Rui's getting deflections. And we had that stretch where like Austin's pressuring the ball. This is in the third quarter, right? Where you, you kind of turn up a little bit. And I, I think that is something that was just it's essential to that comeback. Well, Pete, I recall, I don't know what podcast it, it would have been, but in the offseason or in the preseason, and we had a LeBron conversation about that where and I think both you and Darius were sort of like, they're, no, they're going to need certain amounts of his defense, uh, you know, at key parts of the season. And I was kind of like, I know, but how much of that's going to be there? And that was kind of the crux of the year 21 debate. And when can he break it out? And, you know, he absolutely did in the second half, not just in this game, but also against Kevin Durant uh, in the previous game. And I still don't love the concept that LeBron is going to have to do that um, as the Lakers continue in this regular season push specifically if they're going to try and do something in the playoffs as well. But right now, it, he, he needs to do it. They need him to do it. And, and that's kind of what it is. With one caveat, Cam Reddish uh, in the fourth quarter. Yes. The point of attack defense to me that he can bring, you notice the difference between him and any of the other guards. So certainly, I, in this case, I'm going to include Prince as a guard, but just somebody that has been in those lineups next to Reeves and Russell. Um, Vanderbilt and reddish can do some things there at the point of attack that i think tilt the whole way the rest of that unit works and this kind of to me ties into the point you were saying about spirit and the team and in the first quarter i thought they came out uh, well they played pretty well the game was tight it was going back and forth the starters played well um the clippers were hitting some tough shots and then you started to get to some of those backup groups that we had discussed yesterday and most of them were very, very small. They, they were, but also the big, the big units were bad yesterday too, Mike. Like that first half, not to start the game. It, they were, they were like a minus six to start start the game. The starters were not good. You know me, I'm team big on this, but they weren't. Well, when the starters went out, they were. It was like a one point game in the first quarter. I, right, but I'm talking right? about through the through the end of the first half, they were like a minus six or a minus eight. They had another shift in in that second quarter. It was that second quarter where we gave up like 36 points, and they were they were part of that. So let me get to that though. I think that when those group, when they get to the smaller groups off the bench, I think that it saps the general energy um, of the team. And I think that it saps uh, to specifically some to LeBron and AD and AD the most when he's looking out there and there is no help from a size stamp and rebounding and that type of standpoint. And that was the group that closed the first quarter. And so then the second quarter comes and I think the whole because because why? Because we've seen it happen all year and it hasn't worked. And so I just think that's something that that is felt on the court and that, you know, eventually shifts in the fourth quarter, mostly because so Cam Reddish hits a three and then LeBron goes nuclear. And around that, then the energy continues to come uh, and all those guys deserve credit for it. But Jackson Hayes was on the court for five of those minutes and then Reddish was on the court for seven minutes. Um, AD or LeBron played all 12. Rui came back in and played six. You know, that that is the rotation to me that's closer um, up to sort of what they can, th the things that have, they've had success with. But I, I don't know if I tied that together properly, Darius. It's, it's again, it's a conversation we've been having for a long time. No, I, I think it's fair to say that the ebbs and flows of any basketball game, Pete, you know when things are working and when they're not. And when things start to turn a certain way, I think it could be dispiriting. And I'm not necessarily saying it's all lineup stuff and everything else. But I do think that all of these things are contributing factors. And when 
things start to turn a certain direction, it is hard to course correct in game. And it really does take a phenomenal effort to sort of steer the ship back, right? And that phenomenal effort came in the form of LeBron's shot making, which is inspiring. Um, it came in the form of earlier, like in the third, third quarter of all of the ball pressure stuff. Austin had mm -hmm. a couple of steals. Austin also, he did not score in the fourth quarter, but he had that critical defensive stop against Norman Powell, where they forced a 24 second violation. And it was that that air ball. I thought Hayes's energy in the fourth quarter was critical. Personally, he was blitzing yeah. at the point, point of attack. Him and blitzing Harden. Yep. And, and then he was sprinting back into the paint in order to recover. And it was that general athleticism and spirit that I think those things were force multipliers for each other. LeBron's shot making was like lifting the spirit and then the defensive intensity was lifting LeBron. And each one was like a little, another rung on the ladder for the whole team to climb. And, and I thought that was the epitome of what the team can be. And earlier during the game, none of that stuff was necessarily clicking and coming together. And it was after that third quarter push where the team did go small again. And it was sort of just like, oh, wait, again, another one of these lineups where it's just like, hey, Prince, you've you've got Kawhi Leonard and AD is out there just like, oh, man, like, what am I supposed to do here? And it did look like the team had sort of lost that sense of like, we can turn this thing around. Well, that, that segment, Pete, they went from down 13 and then it was, it would have been, it would have been down 16. And then um, the three pointer at the buzzer uh, right yes. goes in. Uh, was it Powell? That oh hit? yeah. It reminded me, remember yeah, he missed yeah, a yeah. three over Austin. That was very similar <laughs> to that to tie a game that we ended up winning. Lakers win the season series against the Clippers for the first time in forever. Couldn't happen uh, in any other way in the last season that they were together. So let's take a break, come back and keep it going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Mike, you made one point about uh, Jackson Hayes that I, I wanted to touch on real quick that I think is it's not necessarily leading to anywhere, but I think that it's something that this is critical. These types of things are critical within what we can do the rest of the season. The first half, Hayes was not good at all, particularly on the defensive end, because we were in a drop coverage. He's not a good drop coverage defender. And this is true of all your vet men guys. They're all going to have situations, a lot of times multiple ones, where it's like, they're not good at running that defense. They're not good at doing the specific thing that you're asking them. You actually have to kind of contour and cater to what they do well, particularly because you can put Jackson Hayes in drops over and over and over again. It's not going to work. The, the Clippers have big physical ball handlers that you could watch Jackson. He gets a forearm into his chest. He gets bumped way back. That concerns me come playoff time. Um, but for now, the way that you work around that, we were talking about the contested threes thing yesterday, is in that second half, he's on the perimeter. He's blitzing with Cam Reddish on James Harden. And one of the things I like about Cam, and he combines with Jackson in this respect, is that's a lot of athlete that's trapping James Harden right there. That is a formidable trap right there where it's like the pass has to have a little bit more arc on it. He's got a dribble drag away from them. Like it's not it's not a trap between like Austin and Rui, for example, right? Or smaller players. Those are two of our best athletes at their position. And with Jackson, what you were talking about, D, of like you blitz and you trap and you haul ass back to one guy. That's your only job. In a drop coverage, it's like, oh, I'm sort of stunting at this guy, but I got to get back to that guy. It's like you're making all these little micro decisions, micro, micro choices in the moment. And like, that's not what Jackson Hayes does well, but he can haul his ass off. Right. So it's like, go blitz that guy, be tall and athletic, get your arms up, then haul ass back to this guy. That was, to me, one of the best deployments of of him defensively. And I thought it's important because it was such a contrast to the first half. Yeah, just the level of intensity picked up. And I was listening to Darvin talk post post game, and he was also talking about how in between the quarter breaks between the third and the fourth, he was also talking about like, we got to start hitting threes. And LeBron was just like, oh, word. And so the three that Cam hit actually makes perfect sense now. If Darvin told these dudes, go get threes up, because the three that Cam took and hit to start the quarter, I was just like, what are you what doing? What is Cam yeah. doing? <laughs> exactly. But if he was told before the quarter, go out there and let it fly. Well, he definitely went and let it fly. But there were so many, so many, so many winning plays that were made in the fourth quarter that if you just focus on the fact that LeBron outscored the Clippers all by himself, 19 to 16, then so many other things get lost in the sauce there, right? And so that bench unit that was scrambling around, like Cam had this great tip away in transition where Mason Plumlee was trying to bring bring the ball up and, and sort of execute some early offense stuff, which he does a lot. And it's kind of a roller coaster with him, but but Cam came and tipped the ball away. There were those two critical offensive rebounds that AD got. The first one where he got fouled and then those two free throws led to uh, the game getting tied at at 106. And then the next one, he got one on the very next possession where after the offensive rebound, it, it kicks out to Austin. Austin swings to LeBron and then LeBron like manipulates the defense and then drives and kicks to Rui, who nails the exact three 
that he had just missed, like literally seconds before that led to the to, to the AD offensive rebound. There were so many little plays that got made. The D'Lo cuts behind, be, like behind the traps after LeBron mm-hmm. had shown like, hey, I'm going to burn this defense if you just continue to let this big sit, sit out here and try to defend me one-on-one. The Lakers outscored the Clippers by what, 23 points? In that quarter, 24 points. Yep. And Harden was minus 23. We played the whole four, uh, whole 12 minutes. Oh, man. I just want to make sure that we're doing everyone else justice because LeBron was certainly front and center in terms of all that he was doing on both sides of the ball to spearhead that that comeback. But there were so many other little things that, that were happening, Mike. And, and I'm wondering... You've seen a ton of comebacks. You've seen a bunch of great Lakers crowds. This was supposed to be a Clippers crowd, but it felt like a Lakers crowd. And even on TV, they were talking about it when the Clippers were up big and then the Lakers started to make their push initially. There were way more cheers. And it was like, oh, oh, is is this a Lakers home game? Really? And, and so what was the crowd like? Like, what was the environment like as that push is starting to happen? Well, I've been in a lot of games across the country that at some point when the Lakers are rolling like they were feel like Laker home games. Uh, the Lakers have the best traveling crowds in the NBA. And that's a little bit easier for me to say. I mean, I'm sure there are a couple of other franchises like when the Warriors were on their run, you know, where there were people coming out to, on a random night in Indiana to see Steph. Like, I'm sure there were some that were close. But, you know, Laker fans have been out there and out there winning for so many years that, that they are they are everywhere. In this city, uh, if you haven't been to a game uh, here or don't live here, or I know we have a lot of people fo- uh, listening from the Philippines, you know, for example, um, in various places around the world, the Los Angeles is obviously a Lakers town. And, you know, there are some Clipper fans, but it's it, it's uh, it's not like a close thing. Um, right. So when even when the Lakers were bad. Typically, there are at least like 50 percent is what it feels like of fans. And then if the Clippers are beating the Lakers, which happened for many years, you know, it's you're going to hear from that fan base. But the Laker fans, when the Lakers have been winning and this, this has really just happened this year, right? The losing streak was going back for a couple of years, um, has overwhelmed those Clipper fans quickly. You know, and I think part of it is the it's not just the raw numbers. It's just the kind of. Um, that un- the rare time of being sort of an underdog or at least being in somebody else's building and wanting to hear yourself, uh, wanting to hear yourself. So that dynamic was definitely at play. And I think the players are aware of it as well. But something that just stood out to me as you were discussing the various players that stepped up, like so D'Angelo Russell mm-hmm. plays almost the entire fourth quarter. He only gets two shots and the ball is in his hands for about 0.2 seconds on those shots, one is a deep three from the wing, from above the break on the right side of the court that LeBron gives him right after LeBron had hit like four threes and absolutely swishes it, like not not even anywhere near close to missing. And then the three that he hit in the corner, which put the Lakers up six and essentially sealed the game, where he doesn't even bring the ball down. And he's been doing this yeah, a little bit lately. Yeah, he did that in lately. Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, he's been doing it a little bit. And Austin Reeves described it as sometimes we forget the just – absurd basketball talent that D'Angelo Russell has that that he has always had the the touch the feel the the shot making the handle he can do stuff with the dribble like he he has an insane level of skill uh, and that was something that was on full display in those two shots and then guess what else yeah well guess what else he had he had four assists 
And a lot of those came once the Clippers finally relented to, for a while, Ty Lue was like, I'm not trapping you. I know what happens when you do that. <laughs> Fine. You bring out the big. And LeBron was just murdering those actions so many times that he finally starts to trap him. And then D'Lo just instinctively kind of finds the spot, Pete, that, that's you. This is where I want the high school coach to come in. Yeah. You know, he's finding the soft spot in the trap and then immediately moving the ball on to the open guy, which in this case was Rui Hachimura, which was a three-pointer, and then that baseline layup and the beautiful reverse. But uh, what did you see on those actions and, and how D'Lo was involved? So I haven't done my re- my rewatch yet, but the uh, his comments after the game, when you asked him about this specifically, really struck my attention. He was like, I have no idea what was happening, right? Yeah, it's like how, not what LeBron tells you when you ask LeBron that question because he likes doing it. D'Lo, D'Lo kind of prefers to be like, yeah, eh, I just play basketball. I'm, so, yeah. yeah, right. That's him being a little bit modest in this respect in that he, he later in his answer went on to say, well, they were blitzing and, and so – you know, what you do there is you flash into the high post. And so I was just flashing into the open space and making the right basketball play. And it's like that to me, Dito has a versatility on offense where he can be your shot creator on some possessions. He can be, he's the best shooter we've had in years, guys. We talk about, oh, everybody loses their ability to shoot jump shots when we, they come to the Lakers. He's been fantastic. He had a, a bad series against the Denver Nuggets. Aside from that, he's been very good for the Lakers as a, as a shooter, very reliable. And so uh, he's capable of doing that, but also in the mental aspects of the game. And this is something that I would argue, this is a place he could be at or near the most elite D is that that sort of, okay, the defense is doing this. So this is the natural counter to that. And I need to be here. I need to set this flare screen. I need to cut into this space. I need to space out to the corner and be ready to hit the catch and shoot. No dip three. That to me is the place where he can be truly elite because he's a very, very smart player. And so that is where he can kind of meet LeBron James in the the realm of the most brilliant players. And when you get sure. the more players you get on the court that can do that and can read, okay, they're doing this, we do this, it's checkmate, then you're really in business. And when you combine that with a player that has as much skill as he has, you're really onto something. So let's take a break. I'd love to hear your thoughts on D'Lo. Man, it's if you go back, we had a long talk about him when he first started to sort of turn his season around. And the things that he's doing offensively as an off-ball worker are super important to helping grease the wheels of how much of a rhythm the Lakers offense can be in. All the little cuts, all of the little flashes, all of the little like, oh, I'm going to screen here. I'm going to flare screen. There are plays where his man is ball watching and D'Lo will go and set a screen on his own man. And so this is like comical stuff because he's preying on the, the idea that a flare screen is being set for him. Right. But he's screening his own man. He's almost doing both parts of a split cut all by himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Right. So he screens his own man and then he dives into the paint and then he relocates to one of the corners. And this is the sort of feel stuff that D'Lo has been a step ahead of the rest of the Lakers perimeter players on all the five out stuff all season. And it's only been when everyone else has sort of caught up to him 
like the perimeter guys where this stuff starts to click into place more where everyone else is relocating now too. And so now after he does some of these screens, he has Mm -hmm. a place to go. Whereas before it's like, he would then just end up where, just like in the paint and sort of lurking around and helping to clog Mm -hmm. stuff up because there was no, there was no open slot for him to relocate into. And and so I'm super appreciative of all of the stuff that, that you were describing earlier. Him understanding that, like where to go and when is also so important in beating ball pressure, which is the book on how to guard the Lakers on the perimeter. And the Clippers are one of the best ball pressure teams in the league. Obviously, that goes down a little bit without Paul George, but that when they were at their best, even in that game, Mike, they were deflecting passes, they were, you know, getting tips and things like that. And so understanding, okay, you're pressing up on this. If we do this, this, and that, that's going to mean an open corner three for Rui, for example. And that's what we saw uh, toward the end of that game is his knowledge and understanding of that really helps kind of counter the natural advantages that that other teams can have over D'Lo and Austin. Yeah, that's a good point. The other roster elements I want to mention was I thought Dinwiddie had some really good minutes that just happened to come in stretches where the Clippers were playing better as well. And he didn't play in the fourth quarter. So that, you know, that is kind of going going to go under the table. And then Austin Reeves had a couple of great stretches. Darius was talking about a run earlier. And if he would have made a corner three, right, it would have dropped it to six. And then the Clippers countered with a big run. Oh, that shot. Yeah, that was a that tough one. That was one of those me. momentum <laughs> ones, right, where LeBron had drove and kicked it out to him. Um, but just to kind of to get back to the fourth quarter and make one, one final point on it. You know, the Clippers have had tendencies for many years uh, in with various different rosters. And this will be the first time that Harden um, is here, you know, where where stuff like that has happened. And I I always think there's this fatal flaw that like since they built the team with George and Kawhi, obviously have had a, a ton of talent when they when they encounter a certain big and there's only so many of them, but it could be Jokic, it could be AD, you know, a couple of these guys where they can't go to their preferred smaller group. Caveat here being Paul George not even available, but they have to keep their center out there uh, or go small. Like it's just there. There is a way to attack them on the one end and then the, on the other. They're not getting the real dribble penetration and are taking jump shots. And it just it just lends itself, especially in high leverage games, especially in a playoff series to them being vulnerable. And I think the same thing exists this year when you really lock in and you make them uh, and, and they go to some of their their actions on defense. Like you saw what LeBron was doing that that's going to happen. On the other end, they're taking these jumpers. If you're really have somebody that can contend with Kawhi, you know, and make it a little harder on him. So I just think that's always been a fatal flaw. And yet you're still going to have, oh, look at what the Clippers have done back in the title favorite mix, you know. And yet this this answer is this riddle has never been solved uh, in any of their roster uh, comp, uh, compilations. So I, I continue to think that and I think that it's going to cost them when the playoffs come around this year again. I could certainly see that. Um, I do think that having both Paul George and James Harden, there's a certain level of insurance there where you only really need one of them to have a really great playoff game. And so uh, that said, though, defensively, Mike, I think that's where you can really get to them. That's one of the things that stood who's out. The, who's the fifth guy? You know, who's who's it going to be that, that can contend with with the uh, with the actual best teams and the best bigs? Certainly. And, and I think you're spot on with that. I think the fact that they really struggled to get shots up against us in when we turn it up, that wasn't the first win that we've had like that against them where we've been down. That actually that whole game reminded me of an earlier season They're type of victory. 20, right? Early in the season. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then they come back by 
going bigger and and the, now now the going bigger we didn't really do that to it, it was more toward the end and Rui played with a certain degree of force toward the end he had an up and down game on both ends of the, the floor but it was more about like the Clippers are big but they're also fast and watching that game that's why I pushed back earlier Mike about the the bigger lineups like we were not nearly fast enough to the ball we were not nearly fast enough in our rotations with the bigger groups and the smaller groups weren't good for similar reasons that they, they always aren't. But that to me, D was a, a, a big part of it, right? Is that like that ability to match their foot speed and really it's LeBron, it's LeBron. that's the difference in that. It's like when he turns up and you got a defensive yeah. playmaker now in cam, all of a sudden we're getting deflections. We're getting 24 second violations. That to me is the secret sauce of how we go on runs. No, it totally is. And I will say this too, like we highlighted it earlier, but it can't be dismissed that the change to put LeBron on Kawhi impacted, it just impacted the game. Yeah. And it, and it changed the tenor of the Lakers defensive approach and their defensive intensity. And the things that LeBron can do defensively as a big wing especially against Kawhi, who is not the shifty, like I've got this huge bag and I'm going to like, like side sidestep and do all of this stuff. No, like Kawhi is a technical genius. He is a master of the triple threat. He is a master of angles and using his strength. He uses all of his physical tools that, that little jump hook that he got against AD, AD was, there's no other win no. in the league that gets that that jump hook off against Anthony Davis, that like sort of running bank shot that he hit against LeBron mid like midway through the fourth quarter, that's such a difficult shot. And he is fending LeBron off with his left arm and then swooping and putting the ball in that massive hand that he has and banking it off off of the glass. Kawhi's a terror. And Rui did a pretty good job of sticking with him during the earlier part of the game, but there is an imposing nature that LeBron brings defensively in terms of like shoving you out further on the perimeter, the the deflection that he got to force the steal and turnover that got knocked off of Kawhi. There's so many little things that LeBron does defensively that are just like, oh, no one else on the team can do that. Exactly. And you were talking about Kawhi being a master of angles. Like he is that too. He can meet Kawhi and have that battle with him and get some wins. Totally. And then Another side part of this, and this is where it's just like, if there are questions about what Rui can do defensively on the perimeter, when they switched and put LeBron on Kawhi, they didn't put Rui on coffee. They didn't switch exactly. Mm -hmm. What they did is, is they put Rui on James yeah. Harden, Mike, and then they put one of the guards on, on coffee. And I thought... Rui's size on Harden and his ability to play off of him a little bit more and then the ability to switch ball screens when the screen came up those were little tweaks that really played into the Lakers favor that that size helped there and that's a different look than the blitzing that they did with Hayes and and cam and so there was just a lot of cat and mouse stuff a lot of chess being played that if you go back and actually look at this stuff you're like oh that's how they actually came back to win the game i want to get your guys thoughts on one more thing and it's the, the same rotation question that we discussed a little bit ago cam reddish 
looking, first of all, stronger in the second half than he did in the first, as well he should. He hadn't played NBA basketball in a month. And that point of attack defense. So Prince ends up playing 17 minutes. And to me, that's great. Uh, Max gets cut from the rotation. That's unfortunate. We, you kind of predicted if Cam was going to come back, it was going to have to be something like that. Hayes plays 11 minutes. Uh, and then you have 20 for Dinwiddie off the bench. The starters minutes are all reasonable. So I, the only thing I'm still kind of, maybe Jackson gets another shift and, and some of those minutes, you know, drop off from one of those other three guys. But the, Cam and the point of attack stuff to me is the difference, you know, as this what the Lakers haven't had right for the last couple of weeks. And that kind of balances out those groups that are worried about as long as it's not Cam and Torian playing the three, four together, you know, but, uh, but I just want to get your guys thoughts on that, not just for the Wizards game tonight, uh, but as this next stretch until Vanderbilt becomes a possibility of returning. Cam is legitimately good at that, at, at the point of attack defense about at the, working his way over screens really remarkable at that and he can like i said get some wins on a james harden and our other guards when they meet a certain level of offensive player this is just the nature of of defense and when you're operating at a disadvantage they have to play off right they can't play uh, that level of ball pressure and disrupt a guy's dribble or make him rush a little bit that ball pressure is actually disadvantageous you you build on the advantage that the player already has. That's not true when Cam is out there. And that's why, like, seeing the reduction in Prince's minutes. Mike, do you have uh do you have Prince's minutes in front of you? Yeah, I just mentioned it was it was 17. So Prince dropping down to 17 minutes. Wild stat, guys. Lakers are 14 and 1 this season when Torian Prince plays fewer than 25 minutes. And what's our record overall? 32 and 28? So that means that They have 14 wins and 15 chances when Prince plays below 25 minutes, and they have 18 wins in, what's that, 45 chances when Prince plays more than 25 minutes? And that to me is like the difference between Cam and Prince. I was thinking about this last night, D, while watching that is Cam is actually really good at a thing. I think you could make an argument that Prince is a better overall player, but Cam has a better best skill. Does that make sense? It's the same conversation we had about Prince relative to Max. Is like Max's rebounding and point of attack stuff is probably better than certain aspects of like what Prince brings to the lineup as a whole. And and so targeting a specific skill and what that single skill can do within the context of a lineup that's pretty complete in all of these other ways, it amplifies things. And that's why I totally agree with what you're saying about Cam and his ball pressure and that sort of point of attack ability. It's such a needed skill that really no one else is bringing to the table right now. Absolutely. And so to have that with Cam, I thought was super important. I was curious and I, I even texted you guys. I was like, I think Cam might need to finish for Rui in this game because I did think that Rui's perimeter mobility was an issue earlier in the game. But there's a certain a degree, guys, Mike, of like, we got to turn it up. Like the exact same guys. I've seen you get deflections. I've seen you rotate and hustle over uh, and so you have it in you. You got to turn it up. And I thought Rui really did that toward the end of the game. And, and just his, I like Rui's confidence. And in those types of situations, he's not afraid at all. 
of taking a big three. He's not afraid at all at attacking a closeout into traffic. Uh, he is he is that kind of a special athlete where he's going to be able to get good looks. And so, you know, yes, I, it's back to that thing, point of attack defense. It's him moving his feet in the perimeter. I just I still think there are enough intangibles that you get um, out of Rui and thought, you know, him stepping up to make those two plays. Not everybody does that. Uh, and, and, you know, that ends up being pretty significant for the Lakers to close the game. Yeah, I think the Lakers are whatever and zero when you see Rui make a shot and run up the court his with out, his yeah. tongue out. <laughs> like, if you see that in, in a Lakers game, the Lakers have probably won that game because Rui gets right. a cigar. Yeah, so hope, yes, hopefully, let's see it again tonight. Got the Wizards tonight uh, back at home. We will be back tomorrow to discuss. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.